how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. I wanted to spoof what the interview is. I wanted to spoof what a date is. What's your type? Dark hair. Why did you think it was funny? Why did you think it would work? Who gave you access? Thank you to KSI, Jennifer Lawrence, Ed Sheeran. When did you know you could make money from this show? I wasn't making any money from the views for like honestly years. It was a nightmare situation. Oh no. Yeah. Oh my God. You can make it, you can star in it, and then you can publish it. It's changing the, the media landscape. I'm witnessing something that- We're witnessing history. History, yes. <laughs> We first met Amelia de Boldenberg after we made a video about her on this channel. And the reason we made that video is because we were so impressed with the fact that she was able to create a celebrity talk show entirely independently. No funding from any media company, just uploading YouTube videos for almost 10 years. Her interview show, Chicken Shop Date, has over 340 million views on her channel, but even more impressive is its cultural impact. A moment from her episode with Louis Theroux resulted in a dance trend that defined 2022, and it's become one of the premier destinations for actors and musicians to promote their upcoming work. We talked to her in this episode about how she's built one of YouTube's biggest shows, how she books top-tier talent, and how she's crafted a brand that transcends YouTube. Hi, Amelia. Hi. Hello. Great to see you again. Yes. We're catching you at this um, really cool moment here in London, coming right off the Barbie premiere, mm. which you were on the pink carpet for. Yes. And also coming off of the Jennifer Lawrence Chicken Shop yes. Date episode, which two, th those both feel like very big moments. Mm -hmm, does it sure. feel like that for you right now in your career? I actually feel like it does feel quite... Um, like a big moment. And I think especially the Barbie premiere. Yeah. Um, if I could have seen my younger self, like, you know, at school or at university with dreams of being, you know, a presenter or a journalist, knowing that I would be one of the hosts of the Barbie premiere, um, I would have been like, wow, that is a dream gig. And uh, with like red carpet interviews, it's all so much is out of your control. So you really don't know um, how the interviews are going to pan out. You don't even know who you're going to get to speak to. So um, that's always a risk when you do those jobs. So when it does pay off and you get, you know, the moment uh, um like a, a moment that shared or like the ryan gosling, well, the gosling clip. Clip. i texted you yeah you did oh, i'm actually on the lookout for a ken myself oh do you have any tips on how to find a ken drop something <laughs> if a, a ken picks it up Oop. you can as it oh god that moment was shared by my friends to oh, really? me oh really and i didn't i actually i had heard that you were doing the premiere but i didn't i hadn't seen any clips yet oh. and immediately that was shared and yeah. it was something that we were talking about that Although you built your career on the internet, you are in a very unique position where it feels like you've built this brand that's transcended the internet. Mm -hmm. Like my friends who don't watch online content, they don't watch YouTube, they know who you are. Right. And that is a very Great. unique, yeah, but that's a very <laughs> unique thing to do for someone who's built their career off of a YouTube show. And if anyone would notice it, it would be us. Because yeah. we are interviewing, obviously, these very yeah. digital people. And the amount of times that- Well, they're well, real people. Well, they are yeah. real people, but they yeah. have these huge digital lives. <laughs> and the amount of times it's like, mom, we interviewed Mr. Beast. And she's like, 
Huh? Who's that? What? Isn't yeah. that crazy? Because he's it's the crazy. biggest creator. Is he yeah. the biggest creator? Yeah. And I only I only knew about him through your channel, like watching. Really? My, wow. Yeah, watching your. So I find out about so many creators through your channel because <laughs> they don't come up on my algorithm, and I don't see them. And then I go on there, I, I find them through you, and then I go on their page, and I'm like, what? They've got X million yeah. subscribers, yeah. and it's 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 interesting how the internet works in that way that you can have um, millions and millions of followers on TikTok or on YouTube, and yeah, so many. Uh, people within in the public will not know who you are because you are hitting a very specific demographic that's also incredibly global I think too so like you're a very widespread audience mm -hmm, so those mm. millions of followers will be from all across the world so it wouldn't be necessarily sometimes like communities of people that will know you but that's been um, within like my strategy or like my ambitions is always to be like straddling both the online and the traditional and I just feel like, yeah, if you really sort of want to um, be, I don't know, um, top of your game, you have to be in, you have to have a foot in both worlds. I feel like for for you, the world became somewhat aware of you during the, for, because of the Jack Harlow episode. Yes, mm -hmm, for sure. Can you read? Do you... What the hell is this? Do you, sorry, I meant, do you like to read? That was a moment in time that was explosion of the, the Amelia de Moldenberg. Explosion of yeah. chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when we we looked into you at that time, right? And we had heard our office, it's like a bunch of people who watch a lot of YouTube. So your show had come up before the Jack Harlow interview. Right. Um, but that was the moment where it kind of, you know, became very popular. And it kind of feels like you've arrived in the past two to three years. Yeah. But this is a decade long story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's um. It started. I don't know. When, well, when I was seventeen, I'm twenty nine now. Um, so I'm just trying to do the math. God, I'm so bad at math. I, I mean, no like, one can. Yeah, no yeah, one can okay. do that math. That math. Yeah. Um, it's too hard. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I, I started with the idea when I was seventeen uh, years old at a youth club in Northwest London, where I'm from. I started going there after school on every Wednesday, and we made a magazine, and that's what we did. And everyone um, there was really into UK rap and grime. Um, and so that was kind of like my uh, introduction into that music specifically. And so it was very natural when it came to be that uh, the question of who would I like to interview, it just seemed like, oh, of course, I'm going to interview these um, rappers that everyone's talking about. Um, and then, yeah, I started the column in that magazine and I did it for about two years. And in the column, you were also uh, playing or taking part in essentially dates, like what the format has become today there were a lot of elements to it that were also in the written column. Yeah, definitely. And it was very much like question, one-line answer. My question, one-line answer. It was, um, but in the within the question, I'd like put some kind of sarky comment mm -hmm. or it, I wanted it to feel very like um, staccato energy um, with it. And the questions uh, that we came up with were asking it in a different angle, like spinning something on its head. What led you to doing this? Like, what, what, who were you before that? Like, were you someone? I don't even remember who I was before. I honestly feel like <laughs> I'm, no I'm like chicken shop girl forever. Like, I, don't, yeah. I can't imagine my life before that. Who, what led me to doing this? At school, I was always like an overachiever in terms of always being involved in like every single extracurricular activity. Like, I always was trying to like do the most at school um, uh, because I was always very like, very average in terms of my grades and I didn't really love the the subjects that we had at school so like the 
English maths, you know, the, the classic ones. I was always very much more interested in the extracurricular things, things that was more, that were more creative, um, that also maybe lended themselves lended themselves to something that you would actually serve a purpose in an actual job. Or I think I realised very early on at school that like being funny sells, yeah, like and totally. that you can get an audience and that you can um, capture people's attention by making them laugh. And uh, that's something that I think has been a constant throughout my life. And I feel, yeah, I think that's what you can see through my work, really. Let's talk about some of the uh, initial inspirations for creating the format. Because even as a written column, like creating it, creating Chicken Shop Date, like that, there is a, a lot of different things that go into that idea, right? So how did that, like, where did that idea come from even as the column? Like, why did you think it was funny? Why did you think it would work? I think the initial idea came about through doing an interview as a date. So that was the first thought. Um, I thought that that would be an interesting way uh, to angle an interview. And also, I really wanted to go on a date. And I'd never been on a date. So <laughs> I was two birds with one stone. Um, and then someone said, you should never go... You sh- you sh- someone said, you should go on a date where you would never usually go on a date to make it funny. And that's how the chicken shop element happened. And then, yeah, I guess the style of like my vibe was I was when I was at school I was very dry like more than I am now like very sarcastic and dry humor deadpan to me that was much uh, more entertaining than me just being me did did you have visual references of that of like you know like the first time I watched your show I remember thinking it was there was an element of between two ferns yeah definitely that was a big inspiration too love between two ferns um i just love um how it's like an anti-interview i've always also been quite inspired by like things that have gone wrong so interviews that have gone wrong or interviews that are really awkward and (laughs) um the interaction hasn't gone to plan how we see interviews going and that to me is very inspiring (laughs) because that's that's uh, funny to me. That's what I think I wanted to do. I wanted to spoof what the interview is. I wanted to spoof what a date is. I also have always watched a lot of mockumentaries, and I think things. Oh, I love mockumentaries. Yeah, from Spinal Tap to Best in Show. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, those the the awkwardness at, of those. I think I found very inspiring to the kind of co- the kind of comedy that yes. I do. And in a way, it kind of feels a bit mockumentary esque. Maybe the tone of my show. And then in terms of the character like the biggest reference I see in my character is Leslie Nope from um, Parks and Recreation in terms of her enthusiasm and desperation both at the same time cross in a cross section and I think that that's what I do with my character in a way I always say that I'm equal parts uninterested as I am desperate Mm. and I think that the juxtaposition of both those two opposing things create for a really funny comedy character Um, because sometimes you know I've I, I'm really interested and I'm overly keen in the guest and I'm saying things like, so like, uh, when are we getting married? And then in the same breath, I they will come uh, and say something flirty to me and I'll be like, can you back off? Mm-hmm. And I think it's that going between the two um, that I find can throw the audience off and both the audience and the guest. I think we talked about this in the video we made about you, but uh, even in Drake, receiving a DM from Drake, I believe the response was like, I'll check my schedule. Yeah, yeah. Which still plays into that of like, I'm looking for a date. Here comes one of the biggest stars yeah. of all time. And yet the character 
and the tone is there. Well, that's what you have to do. Like, yeah. it would be so boring to be like keen on Drake, right? It would be. Totally. <laughs> as in, you have to sort of play play it like um, play it like that. I think because that's yeah. that's that's the funny thing to do is to seem that like you're not interested <laughs> yeah. in him. But yeah. Wow, it's so interesting. Just to to go back on some of the points in the conversation, like I was also well. I was a below average student in school, mm. but excelled in uh, video editing mm. and film production and was also part of the school newspaper mm. and wrote like funny columns in mm. there. Uh, I also am incredibly inspired by mockumentary and my senior film project, I went to film school, was a mockumentary. Oh, really? Which was the first time that I was really on camera. I played a role in that, very inspired by The Office. It was like The Office yeah, mixed the with Office. Spinal Tap. Yeah, yeah, it was like mm -hmm. those two were those were my two references. But I was curious about your relationship with a, being a performer and being on camera cuz mm. writing a column is very different from saying, "Hey, let's turn a camera on mm. and let's let's turn this into a video show." Why go there? Like why do that? I think because uh when I was doing the interviews when they were written, I just had my dictaphone. I realized that the actual what was going on was funny that I just thought this would be great if it was filmed if people could see this play out um, and so I, I don't know I've always been someone very comfortable at being out of my comfort zone um, and I feel like that's the only way you can you move forward so I'm often I often feel incredibly nervous incredibly anxious at times um, that I'm doing I'm often doing things for the first time um, but it's also how I I feel comfortable do it, being in those situations. So to me, the idea of making the leap to do video was just something that I had to do. Um, but the issue was I didn't know how to anything about video production. And we, I remember like sitting in a Chinese restaurant actually before filming, going over my questions, being so incredibly nervous. God, are they gonna are they gonna turn up? But obviously, I'd done the the written column before, so I knew how it played out. But it was just obviously a different experience. And he was gets was actually early, so I was like, oh okay. And then we get there and we we film, and yeah, and then we. I didn't talk to him before Gets. He just arrived and I like didn't. I was when I, I back in the day I used to be very like method with it. I would like not talk to anyone at all. And I would like barely talk to them afterwards. I'd be like, thanks, bye. <laughs> uh, I think it's also because I was not that confident like as well. Um, and now I do like a proper like briefing with them and stuff right. before. Um, Did you feel like it went well right after that first episode? Yeah, I thought it went really well. Yeah. And also because I did have the proof of concept with the written column, like I knew what it's like when, when I know what it, feels like when you're getting a good interview and I still f find that now it's one of my favorite things of my job part one of my favorite parts of the job is when you're interviewing someone and you can really tell that it's going well because I've it, when I'm in the interview I've got my editor hat on I've got my like everything hat on and I can feel the moments where I know this is going to really work well and I will know for sure when I've wrapped with an interview if it's going to be good or not is this going well this is going Really well. Okay, good. Oh, man. <laughs> also, that's I'm not the one who should be yeah, answering. Yeah, that's, that's that's a your question. That's a you question. Um, so what was the response like after the Gets episode came out? And did that dictate like your energy to make another one? Yeah, definitely. It was just exactly the energy that we wanted. It was that um, quick cuts, um, f funny, um, sh like laugh out loud moments. And yeah, I mean, in terms of the reception, it got, I don't know, like a thousand views or something, like 
not that many views at all and I um, spent a lot of time trying to pitch it to different blogs. Uh, can you reshare this? This was before um, content was what it is now. Like this was nearly 10 years ago. So there wasn't an appetite for um, content in the way na- in the way it is now. Like I always think when you have a new show now, um, you can go viral immediately because of the way the algorithms work, the way that TikTok works, shorts, mm-hmm. YouTube, Twitter, sharing your content. Uh, whereas for me, it was very much like years. Uh, it's taken years to get an audience, to build an audience. Whereas now you can almost get that overnight. So in terms of the evolution of those early episodes, for me, there's this moment. It's like right around the AJ Tracy episode mm. where you have a new intro. Oh my god, I was going to talk about that's this. That's like incredibly intricate and it's got a sound to it and the actual sound of your episodes gets better. Yes. Right? Like from the first one you're like, "Oh, oh they're clearly in a chicken shop god. and maybe there's no mic." There is. And then 3 or 4 episodes later, it's beautiful intro which you still have today, intro and outro, yeah. and you have audio. Yeah. What was the evolution of the show like in those first 3 to 4 and like did your thinking change to Gosh. even get to the point where you wanted a new intro? Well, yeah, the video production element of what I do has always been the most challenging part um, because I was a complete novice and everything I've learned has been through learning on the job. No one has ever taught me anything. I was never part of a bigger organisation or um, anything like that. So everything I've learned just through doing it and yeah the first episodes we didn't have a separate sound recordist we just had clip on mics one of them didn't even work so I don't know if you noticed but in the Getz episode I think that all the sound from from me is being picked up on Getz mic that's anxiety inducing now yeah so I was doing was doing that uh for what four episodes Mm -hmm. and then the AJ Tracy episode was a turning point for sure because it was a real moment to get him on the show because he was a a very exciting up-and-coming rapper in in London and he was at the time had not many followers at all I actually cancelled on him twice you cancelled on him I cancelled on AJ Tracy yeah because I couldn't find a shop um in his area I really wanted to do it local to him in West London and I couldn't find any shops that would let me film back then I would I would be the one who would be finding the shops and that was one of the hardest things as well was to find a shop that would let me film I also didn't realize that you had to like pay to shut them so for the first episodes we we haven't paid to shut the shop the shop is open and so we would have to stop recording when, when customers yeah in. oh my god that's amazing. it was just I just didn't understand it and also I didn't have any money to to shut the shop and then um I ended up like using some of my savings like a hundred pounds to um which at the time was obviously so much money when you're just a student, um, to shut the shop completely, the one for AJ Tracy in West London. And so then I messaged him and I was like, I finally found a shop. It was tiny, like we couldn't really fit any of the crew in. Um, and we we made it work. And then once we filmed that, I waited months and months, sat on it for months because I was trying to get this intro and outro made. My friend who I used to work with at American Apparel, Naomi, she is an incredible artist and she uh, works with felt and um, she made the, stop motion animation for me I gave her a brief and she made it and it was amazing and then me and Marvin were on um copyright free music for ages on YouTube looking for a sound and then we found the <laughs> which I now own wow. rights to uh, what, really yeah I, emailed, yeah I emailed him and wow. I said can I have the rights and he said yeah and I have a contract <laughs> and everything yeah wow wow um, that's amazing I know, yeah, is it? Yeah yeah, 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 it's cool. Um, and so, yeah, and then we added that 
the intro and outro. And I guess the intro and outro was, uh, I don't know why I wanted one. Because if I go on my analytics, it's the thing that people skip past the most. Mm. So really, I shouldn't have it in. But I like it. But well, it's about valuing brand over necessarily views. Mm, yeah, which yeah. I always have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but the, and also the aesthetic of it I love because I feel like it's cute and homemade and it, it's not too slick like chicken shop and I just I'm really lucky that I met Naomi and her style really was something I was drawn to and that's the kind of um uh, aesthetics that I like anyway like in my house like my house is I've got a lot of Naomi's work in my house and a lot of it's very colorful and a bit kitsch and that's maybe my my what I like my taste I'm curious at what point the show proved to you that it could be something commercial because as I'm looking through the episodes it feels like when you go to the wireless festival, mm. I think they sponsored some of them, mm-hmm. right? I was that, gonna talk about that too, yeah. Like, I'm just curious, when did you know you could make money from this show? Was it YouTube AdSense or was it like sponsorships? For the first years, I never had AdSense on my on my um, videos. I didn't know how to do it. So for like the first, ep- for like honestly years, I wasn't making any money from, from the views. Um, so... I made money through my job is in retail and then um, that's how I made my money that I would then put into it. And then obviously the budgets were really low because I was getting everyone to do it as a favor. Um, and then in terms of the commercial aspect of it, the wireless episode was a big deal because I had want, I had had the idea for ages. It'd be so cool to do my interviews backstage at a festival. And so that was the first time I did a project like outside of the chicken shop basically um and it was a real learning experience was there tension at all of this is a job now that i have to do because i've agreed to something with wireless because was was that the first time that you were essentially paid or did they just kind of give you access i don't think okay so I it's not doesn't feel like, <laughs> so at that point you're not, it's not like a job it's just like this is still this is just they're giving me the access they're giving me the access they're giving me the access um and also working closely with wireless the festival um and they're them helping me get the access to and them being on board with it access is something though that i think is one of the most valuable things to get as a young creator especially when you're in i guess the thing that we do which is we are looking for talent to to do our thing with right you're looking to collaborate with people mm-hmm. so getting access is like social proof Mm-hmm. immediately that mm-hmm. another artist can be like okay mm-hmm. cool they did it so Fancy. right and that social proof then creates momentum for guest-based shows or collaboration-based content and i think those those access moments are so pivotal in a creator's journey of who gave you access um first so i i think that's really cool that you know that moment happened for sure and that's that. something i've always been thinking about like throughout the beginning of the show is like who can who, talent has always been at the the most important right. um, kind of conversation always. Uh, who is the talent? Because I don't make episodes like weekly. You know, I'm back in uh, when I first started, I was making an episode like once every four months sim- for numerous reasons because I couldn't get access to talent because I didn't have the money to make the episodes um, because I didn't have time within my studies at university, all of these different things. And I also, and another thing was, it was also on purpose because I thought, I didn't want to have too many episodes. I like that they were, it's a very simple idea. And I, I've always thought that if I was doing them weekly, then people would get bored of them. And I'd also maybe get bored of making them. I like the idea that you don't know when a new episode's going to come out and that I don't have a um, 
release schedule and I think that's something you you both talk about a lot with other creators on your channel is the pressure of having to deliver um, YouTube content or content in general setting yourself a goal or a schedule and then being very overwhelmed by actually having to um, deliver Mm -hmm. and so I've been very lucky in that sense that I've never had that pressure on me but I have also felt a pressure to always do another episode for sure I remember like early on um when no one was watching them being like I need to put another episode out because no one's gonna know who I am it's like no one knew who you are anyway um but I like that I don't have to do a weekly episode um but yeah talent is key and back to your previous point I've always been thinking okay if I get this talent will it then open a door to this talent um and I still think that about that now and I sometimes I have my theories of of this person's going to see this episode and they're going to think, oh, that's my peer. I really rate what they do. I'm going to now do it. I think hopefully people, actors will see the Jennifer Lawrence episode and think, okay, another actor's done it. I could do it too. Uh, it's not just for musicians. Um, and I was so, so happy when I got Daniel Kaluuya. That was a big moment for the show because it was as an Oscar winning uh, like actor um and also someone that just was so perfect for the show growing up in london and like a fan of a lot of the artists i'd had on previously it was kind of the perfect he was the perfect guest but he also was different enough for i think people to look at the show and think oh wow this could be bigger than we thought it could be or it could be something different um or i have different ambitions for it that episode too is funny from the immediate click mm. the opening line of i'm a big fan mm. And then you pause. I'm a really big fan. Yeah. Thank you. Of chicken nuggets. <laughs> of chicken, chicken nuggets. nuggets. <laughs> and he just completely breaks. Yeah. And I think for any actor who probably was curious if they wanted to come on the show and they watched that episode, you get them within the first like 10 seconds, mm. which I also think is really important that you like came out of the gates really strong with a new episode. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's something that you spoke about in the video you did of about Chicken Shop Date, mm. about the intention of, of starting with a moment, like a hook moment, right. um, before you go into the credits. Like you uh, immediately understand the vibe in the first 10 seconds. Mm. Of and what... you're in the middle, not in the beginning, yeah. which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. You start just in it. You're mm-hmm. not, oh, hey, this is Daniel. You know, it's like you're in the middle of and it. And I always want to try and choose a um, a moment that's kind of reflective of the episode as a whole that sets up the tone and the vibe of what who the guest is and their personality and what you're going to see in this episode. And I, I, I often am moving the opening bits. I'm changing the opening bits right. all the time. So how do you go about booking guests and how has that changed, mm. you know, in 2023 from the past 10 years? Well, originally, as I said, Getz came through the magazine and through a publicist that was a fan of the column and that just sort of, that's how it happened. How else? I get through um, record labels, reaching out. Um, I was reaching out to record labels, publicists, uh, managers, music managers of the artist, me meeting talent in in the wild, <laughs> um, me DMing guests i was i was at a pub on the weekend and literally just this weekend gone by in um farringdon and i'm turn around with my pint and then i look and there's a girl stood up standing looking at me and i was like oh i'm gonna get about to get recognized and i was gonna do the thing and i look at her and, and she goes and she goes hello and i go 
Lord. And it was Lord. Oh, wow. And she was like, I just wanted to say I'm such a big fan. And I was like, are you Lord? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, that's so random. And then we got chatting and then, you know, I don't know. So that that could start something, mm-hmm. a conversation, but that was really random. Um, but sometimes things like that happen. I meet people in 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 different situations. That was kind of crazy though. Um, she was really nice. And, but yeah, how has it differ- differed? I don't know. It's just always been a struggle to get talent to come on the show. Like I've never, it's never not been challenging. Like it's, there's still lots of people that I want to get on that I haven't been able to now. And it takes years of, of negotiating and and talking and um i don't know it just happens through all different yeah. ways but it's always a challenge i'm curious is there a guest or two that you see as like a big inflection point for taking you from you know grime to bigger musicians but then opening you up to the world of like actors in a major way mm, i guess as you said the jack carlo episode was a big one um how did that come about through the label the label um reached out to either me or my producer um i think it was me actually directly because uh, my my involvement has changed in the show like what i do in terms of like when i when it started i was very much i produced it all i was the only i didn't even know that was a job title but i would guess i was the producer i was finding the shop i was doing the post-production <laughs> i was doing everything um and then it also made me very stressed i didn't enjoy that part of it really it's so much pressure on as the producer i to to make sure everything happens when like when people ask me oh will you, do you ever get nervous before you do the interviews i'm like yeah about the production i'm not thinking about me and my delivery i'm like thinking about oh is the camera operator going to turn up is yeah. uh, does he have the right memory cards like is the shop owner going to be there when we want to open um all this stuff like is is the edit going to go the way i want it to be um and then one of the best things I've done is offload the production to other people. And um, that that honestly has just been the biggest weight off my shoulders to then not have to deal with that and just to concentrate on doing my questions and being the performer in the episode and dealing with the talent. Um, like I'm happy to like broker the first conversation with when we're trying to book talent. So if I DM someone and I say, hey, can I have your manager's email? They'll give me the manager's email, I'll send it to my producer, do that. But like I don't want to be involved in in the production. Yeah, you need to <laughs> you need to work on the craft of being Amelia. That was a big learning though, yeah. because I think I for a long time I was doing everything and it it was too much. And I needed to separate uh the roles out. And also finding a producer that you like is and finding team members and well mainly the producer that you like is 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 really challenging is it can be very challenging and finding someone that really understands what how you like to work and your tone of voice and I've been very fortunate that over the years I've been I've worked with really brilliant producers and I think I've learned the most from them mm-hmm. like in terms of my career I've learned the most from the different producers that have been in and out of my journey could you tell us how the process works now? Like if we were in a hypothetical situation, we're going to be on the show. We've just mm. agreed. We've just said, agreed. We've just said, yes, let's do it. Okay. Then you would be talking to my producer, Liv, and she would then find dates that you're available. And then we would cross check that I'm available. Next week. We're next avail- week. We're available Then next week. Liv would reach out to our regular crew. We always use the same crew, two camera operators, sound operator, um, production assistant, um, photographer we re- she would reach out to them pencil them in for the date then we'd find the shop local to where you live or where your hotel is um and yeah and then that's kind of it really it's kind of a small production uh, do those people work for your production company 
Liv does. So my, I, okay. ha- I employ two people, Liv, my producer, and Ashley, my social media manager. And then everyone else is freelance. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And then what's your process? Like from a brainstorming questions or angles or like the comedic side of it, what's your process? So originally me and Marvin used to write all the questions together. Um, and we would meet, sometimes we would meet up for dinner and write them over dinner at Nando's or like uh, we would just send them back to forth to each other. Um, and then now I work with another writer called Anya Magliano. And I also work with Hazzy and Miracle who were social media assistants and then some episodes, I'll just write them on my own. Sometimes I write with my sister, um, who's actually a big part of my journey as well. I haven't actually spoken about her yet, but she's kind of integral as well to the team. And yeah, so I'll write with different people. How aware are you of like potentially viral moments or are you completely unaware? Is it like I need to be so present that I can create comedic moments mm. or I'm I know this could become a funny clip mm, no I never really approach things being like I think this could be viral I think yeah. that that's actually the nature of something going viral is that it's unpredictable and you can't predict it happening so I think going into something being like I want to create a viral moment like will never happen like I had no idea like the, the Jack Harlow like to worry not to worry which people love like I didn't know who was going to say that um, and I didn't know that the Ryan Gosling thing that went over mm-hmm the last few days of like me dropping my cue card like I just thought of that in the moment and he's so funny that it worked so when you sit down with an artist like a Jack Harlow whoever it is is it a constant back and forth or are there lulls like what is that hour two hours or however long it is god it'd never be two hours <laughs> yeah, so how imagine long doing is an it? interview for more than an hour so, <laughs> I could never I could never, never imagine so we film for 40 minutes but we have the talent for an hour so they arrive um, and I say hello thank you so much for being here oh my god I'm so happy I'm such a fan um, um, and then I say you're going to get mic'd up and then I say okay so we're going to film for 40 minutes half an hour we don't do any pickups You, we just sit opposite each other and like be yourself don't overthink things and just relax and don't take it too seriously this is meant to be fun You, I'm going to give it to you so you can give it back um, and we show you the edit before it goes out so don't worry um it's gonna be fun and that's what i say and then they sit down opposite me and we film for yeah 40 minutes and it's just question 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 i don't there's there's no lulls it's me just firing questions at them and being uh i don't know i love it i just love Mm. being in the moment interviewing them and seeing figuring out listening to what they've said and then uh, figuring out how I can make this interaction funny by what I say. <laughs> that craft of being like uh, that present, present enough to make those moments happen, I think is, it's such an important point for young creators of like, you do have to play producer for the first probably yes. few years, you know? And I, I'm still, I still play a lot of that role in what we do. Um, we have gotten help, but my mind is still there. Like even this morning, I'm like, here's what the the building looks like and we'll come get you. Yeah, I sent you that picture because I'm in my head, I'm always thinking about what could go wrong because it's based on talent too. Mm -hmm. And and you you don't want the talent to show up and be already kind of in an 
strange mood because something went wrong. For sure. And I'm very particular with like the guest and everyone and the crew having a great experience, yeah. like that everyone enjoys the time that they are having on set and that it's a slick operation. And I think we do have a very slick operation thanks to my production team that we're, the guest arrives, they get briefed, they sit down, they there, they do the pictures, they do the TikTok, they leave. Like, I think, I, I hope it's an enjoyable experience. It's over very quickly. Um, and, but yeah, but saying that, like, yes, as a, every creator's journey you start as off as the producer you're making your own content and I think that's the beauty of it as well like I wouldn't even me saying oh I was super stressed handling all the production on my own and I was so relieved when it was taken off my hands I wouldn't change anything because I think it's made me aware aware of, of all those roles I was yeah. gonna say it's made me the person I am today um, <laughs> well, I like, stepped it, in with it aware. literally has like being a be, wearing all the hats has made me someone that understands the process and it's and I think that it's I, I love that about it like I was saying earlier before we we started that whenever I would uh, get a DVD like rental I would immediately um, fast forward to the making of section because I've always been so fascinated by how things are made and the behind the scenes I used to love that growing up like f finding any moment I can to learn more about you know uh, behind the curtains like the mm -hmm. industry um, and and yeah and so I wouldn't change that at all it's it's really um, made me very aware of all of the all of the steps it takes to make something um and when you're a creator, you have the bit, the best part of being a creator is you have creative control. And I think that that's something that is key to my story. I don't think that like it, the success of the show would be where it, I don't think that I would have a successful show or it would be what it is today without the fact that I'm in creative control. I think that it wouldn't, first of all, it would never have got made. I tried to get it. I was pitching it and no one wanted it. Who were you pitching it to? I, I pitched it to Channel 4, I pitched it to Vice. Um, I ended up pitching it to the BBC. They actually did want it, but then they wanted to take the copyright. A, a few mm. people wanted to take the copyright, yeah. and I am so happy that I never gave um, copyright away, so I own that myself. Um, I pitched it to a big media company, um, and they wanted to buy the copyright for... Um, a crazy low amount of money. I can't even believe it. I still got the email. They wanted to buy the copyright for 500 pounds. Oh my gosh. Wow. But yeah. that, that's attractive. Like it can be attractive to a young creator who's just starting out and no one's paying you. Well, yeah, mm, I, right? I got to a point where I was doing all these meetings with different um, people because I honestly couldn't make the show. Like that, I didn't have any money to make the show. There was no way I, I couldn't. After you do four episodes or something, you can't ask people to work for free anymore. Like you just, you just can't. So it was just, I couldn't make the show. So I was then um, trying to to figure out how I could, um, you know, make money to, to, to make the episodes. And I was really keen on having it sponsored. I was like, I really want to get a sponsor to sponsor the show. This was when content was becoming, this was like five years into doing it, content was becoming more prevalent and things, branded content in particular was something that was just started to happen. So I thought, okay, I've seen other people do it. I can get a sponsor. It was impossible. It was so hard um, to do that. And then, so I was going to sell the, the copyright to people so that I could just, get it made and I'm so happy that I never did that and luckily one big part of the story is during that time I also was signed to my management company YMU that are a, a huge company that look after loads of different talent mainly at the time 
presenters, so traditional broadcasters. And I was their first like online talent. And actually, Jordan, who I think you guys know. Mm -hmm. Manager um, of the Sidemen. Manager of the Sidemen. He at the time was working at YMU. And he had come across my content and he reached out to me and he said, I work for this management company. I'd never heard of it. Um, Would you be interested in like having a, like coming in and having a chat with us? Jordan's younger than me. At the time, I think he was probably like 20. Like he's just this sort of like child genius prodigal son for thing um he's amazing and i went in for a meeting jordan brought me in and i had with the ceo mary and they had this whole pitch this whole deck put together of like how they see like my trajectory and what how they what they can offer being a huge management company that can basically get you a meeting with anyone and i just was like really scared to join with them at first because I was like this is a huge step um, and I don't know if this is what I want to do I met with a few other companies too and then I went with them and that was such a pivotal moment in my career was being signed by a major um, management company because they've opened so many doors for me in particular Jordan um, and he brokered a deal for me and a phone company basically I got paid enough money to then use that money to make episodes of chicken shop date so i didn't have to get a sponsor because i made enough money to then just fund it myself and i've been funding it myself ever since what was the deal it was with vodafone and it was called the hot sauce tour that he Mm. his idea in a way and it was this hugely ambitious project like at the time it was kind of crazy that they agreed to doing this it was the idea was me to do three episodes of Chicken Shop Date and each episode would have a live show, free live show with that talent in Whoa. three areas in the UK. So we did Manchester, Birmingham and London, which is such a cool idea and like such a cool concept. But at the time it was, I was, I really didn't have, I don't know how many followers I had. Maybe I had like less than a hundred thousand followers. And how big was the show? Not that big. Like at all. So they just like took a punt on like, let's work with a smaller talent. It's really. good deal making from, from Jordan. Yeah, yeah. definitely. For yeah. sure. And the interesting thing about that deal is that we were, we were in control of everything. So we were in control of literally the whole production, but it wasn't just the production of the videos, event production, the live show, the live show, wow. um, the marketing rollout. Um, we also had merch. We also had, we, we made our own hot sauce that I wanted to have 99% mayo hot sauce. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, um, that was the, the kind of tagline yeah. to it. Um, and I had so many deliverables. I had like over a hundred deliverables. Oh my God. It's um, a classic first creator deal. Yeah, I yeah. had so many deliverables and it was the 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 project spanned over six months. Oh my god. How much was the deal for? It was I don't remember, but it was like enough money. It was enough. It was it was a good amount of money. Okay. And that was but that was split between we we got that was split between like the whole project. Did it change your perspective on how you want to make money with the show and with your channel? Because my assumption would be you take that job it's really difficult. You're stretched thin. You learn a lot, but you go, I'm not doing anything like that again. Yeah. It was kind of a bit like that. Yeah. And I haven't done anything like that again since, (laughs) but it's more, it was just a different environment of like, yeah, being at the mercy of, of clients, I think. And to be fair, they gave us so much creative license. Like it really, when I look back at what we achieved, it it really was Mm -hmm. my vision executed exactly how I want it to be. Um, But I think there was just so many elements at play that just made it quite challenging. But it's the first and only time I've ever done like a, a brand 
deal with including chicken shop day i realized that i don't want anyone to have any um ownership on the episodes apart from me i'm not interested in sponsoring my episodes and maybe some people will think that's foolish i could be making way more money but i'm not interested in that i'm interested in what i love about the show is that i can literally just shape it exactly how i want it to be with my my team are the only people that have eyes on it i think it's incredibly aspirational like to to look at it and say I totally like the moment in time. I'm sure you've had offers to sponsor chicken chop date. That, mm. And and if not, then I'm sure there's companies like the amount of money that is, that is there is, is definitely, you know, in this current landscape of digital advertising, there's, there's people who would want that. Yeah. But I think staying disciplined is what builds a brand and builds a brand at a premium. Like, for me, watching that show, it feels more premium. If you turned to the camera and started delivering an, an yeah. ad read, it would break the whole totally show that. to me. It would it would change the dynamic of the entire show. I also think that that's why people maybe like the show is that they know that it's authentic, that it's not um, like got a lot of sponsor. It doesn't have sponsorship. I mean, obviously, you have the 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 ads that YouTube sure um, include, but that's like fully accepted at this point. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. like there's no and there's no connection to. It, that's based on me watching, mm. not based on you presenting yeah. an ad to me. I think the main reason I don't have sponsorship is because I just like enjoy making it my own, yeah. and I and I don't want to make it more challenging for myself. <laughs> how, how do you think about building a business? I'm sure a lot of creators would want to actually follow suit in a similar way and just keep what they're making their art, make it however they want to make it. So how would you? How did you think about navigating it? Like, did it ever provide issues for you that you couldn't? I don't know. Like I've always just been not interested in making loads of money. Like as in, I just sort of thought, okay, well, I'm getting this next brand deal. That's going to serve me for this X amount of time. I'm not thinking too much about in the future. I just want to make enough money that I can pay my rent and can make my YouTube videos. Like all actually I really care about is making my YouTube videos. (laughs) And I just was always just like, okay, well, how much money can this give me in terms of how many YouTube videos, more episodes of Chicken Shop Date can I make? I'm in a fortunate position as well um, in terms of uh, I have um, a good amount of subscribers on across lots of channels. So I have like millions of Instagram followers as well as YouTube subscribers as well as TikTok um, followers. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of maybe appealing to brands is mm-hmm. that I'm across all those platforms. And it gives you the flexibility of if you're going to have an advertising business, it doesn't have to be on YouTube, yeah. which is nice. And also, I think what we were saying p- before about crossing the traditional media with the digital media, I think that's also very appealing to brands because brands are trying to target both those audiences too. So I think that the strategy that me and my management team have like been implementing, which is to kind of um, be visible to both those markets, is also a- appealing to brands. So maybe I get... Mm, more brand deals than other people. Yeah. When I speak to my management company, they say that I get more, like I get a, a good amount of um, brand offers. Brand uh, offers, my, yeah. I'm sure you see then there may be yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure though, I can imagine that. Yeah. I also think though, Chicken Shop Date without sponsors in it feels more like, like a Netflix show doesn't have, you know, or like Succession on HBO. It's not like all of a sudden Kendall Roy turns to the camera and he's like, in this episode, is brought to you. Mm -hmm. You know, like that would be ridiculous uh, when you're watching traditional media. So Chicken Shop Date feels more like a traditional show because we're watching it and going, there's no, there's no ad break. There's nothing here that feels like a YouTube video. Yeah. And that's definitely what I've always wanted. Like I'm so like creative first. Like I'm not, like, as I said, I didn't even have the monetization Um, tab open 
on my YouTube videos for a long time. Even, for example, the Barbie video I just did, um, it was five seconds under being eight minutes. And I realized recently, apparently if you have eight minute videos, you can like have another ad have break and ad then oh. you can earn more revenue and i just literally was like i don't really care like we'll just put it out <laughs> it's just good yeah Whatever i don't mind good. like yeah. i don't want to just i was really happy with the video i didn't want to add in another section that i just taken out like i felt like it was a really tight edit like i don't mind like not getting another ad break in like people probably like that anyway they don't have to skip any more ads so i think these are like small they might feel like small decisions but i think compounded over time it's what it's what's building the brand of of amelia de moldenberg you know it's like that when i watch it doesn't feel like other things yeah and whereas maybe someone else running a youtube business would make the decision obviously let's add five seconds let's have two ad breaks mm -hmm. but i think these small decisions do compound over time to build a more premium brand yeah um well it's a brand that's also just 100 percent you at all mm -hmm. times the yeah. second you open up to a brand deal, you now have a minute 30 that is not fully you. Yeah. No matter if you right. love the brand and you have worn it or whatever, use it your whole life, mm -hmm. it's now a minute 30 that like, oh, well, that's not 100% Amelia. Yeah. So let's let's talk about um, some specific Chicken Shop Date episodes. Jack Harlow is the most viewed, is that right? I think it's the Chunks and Philly episode. Oh, Chunks and Philly. Um, Maybe they're both on like 15 million. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's such an unbelievable amount of people to watch something. Know, it's like, isn't it? It's mind boggling. It's crazy. But when I think about some of the the uh, big ones, I'm actually a big 1975 fan. So yeah. Matt Healy to me was, was, I was very excited to see it. Mm -hmm. And then when I watched it, it was nothing like what I had anticipated it mm -hmm. to be like. Same. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and Matt Healy is one of, uh, one of the few, if not the only artists that kind of pushed back and, mm -hmm. and pushed you into mm -hmm. a different place. What was that experience like for you? I loved healing? it. I was so happy when that episode, I was honestly buzzing afterwards. I was like talking to all my team about it. I was like, oh my God, this episode, you're, it's, it's so, I love it. I love it. It's so great. It's so different. I was so happy that he um, kind of just played me at my own game really in a way or that he wasn't afraid to kind of push the boundaries of what the show could be and essentially the show is meant to be a date and so I love it when the guest flirts back with me like that's really my favorite episodes are when there's some kind of um, date aspect really going on no I can't I don't want to kiss you why because I just smoked a cigarette come on <laughs> I'm not no get no come on no you've got to commit to the bit let's do an earnest kiss I, so when he then tried to kiss me over the table, I was in my head, I was like, brilliant, this is great. Um, and I, it divides people because some people think that it was just way too intense that he he was asking to do that. And then other people got that it get, was- Get a, the comedy. Get yeah, the I joke. think I read some stuff about it that was kind of like, this was inappropriate of yeah, him no to do. Yeah, no means no. Yeah, it's and it's like, like it's, it's a comedic show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was completely fine with it. Um, but um, but yeah, it, it I was really happy with that episode because um, I don't know, I, I know that I'd been feeling complacent with the show but as I said it, it's a very simple format I've been doing it for many years and so I'm all, I'm always looking for ways I can sort of bring some more life into it or, or surprise people or do something a bit unexpected so with that episode um, I was really glad that it was a bit of a different energy and even something simple like um, I had a black and white moment in the middle of the episode um, referencing like his new album and his yeah. like pretentiousness yeah. in that and um and that was cool and i was like a bit like oh i've never had a black and white yeah. frame mm -hmm. before um but i was i just glad that that paid off and then i also always like bringing my props and i had the cigarette the fake cigarette that was so funny that and yeah i was super happy with that episode and it, and it really like spurred me it gave me some 
great energy for the next few months. Do you find that it gets harder to make these episodes the more popular the show becomes? The more people know Mm. that it's supposed to be funny? Like with Jennifer Lawrence, does that become a more difficult episode? Because she has so much context on what this show is supposed to be. I'm not sure because sometimes I maybe I thought that I've thought that in the past. I definitely think that when you're interviewing someone that's known for being funny, um, it's more of a challenge because there's so much content out there of them being hilarious. So you're not really showing them in a new light, which is again, which I wanted, why I started Chicken Shop Mm. Date was because I wanted to show a different side to these guest personalities. When I'm talking to other people who interview, other interviewers, friends of mine, they often talk to me about, they're like, oh, it's so great with your show because someone can give you nothing and you can make it work in your favor. And I think that too, like, I feel like I've shaped the show in a way so that someone can give me one word answers and I'll make that part of the bit. Like it's, I don't need to get something enlightening from them. And in that way, I feel like I'm always happy with the episodes. I think when I started, I was very much more set in my ways on my character having to be incredibly dry and deadpan and sarcastic and I think as the years have gone on and I've grown up and I've grown up through the show uh I've become warmer as a as a host I don't know if you've noticed this I, I feel it and I've become more relaxed and more confident and I'm not and they're more friendly, the episodes and I also think that's maybe broadened the audience too um in a way. Yeah. That's really mm. interesting. It, like an Ed Sheeran, I think you say, you tell him to keep his day job when he's singing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is very funny. Yeah. Um, but the, the Jonas Brothers episode, uh, I, I think I texted you about that one too, because I laughed. I could watch that many times, but the part that I laughed the most at is when you ask if Nick still gets jealous. <laughs> it, it just killed me. I know, and, I would. In the edit, yeah, I was watching it. It, was like, it killed me every time I watched it. it. It was in the trailer for the episode, yeah. and then I watched the episode, and I laughed out loud both times. And I was like, it's so interesting now that um, you, I'm sure after 10 years, you are also, you, you are able to be the comedian in the seat as well, not just create the awkward moments, but like sometimes something you say is the thing that's the funniest moment in the episode, at yeah. least for me. Well, thanks. I mean, uh, most of the time it's the guests. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I definitely feel like I've become more confident as a um, host and as uh, a comedian in a way, um, for sure, if I look back at my other episodes. Yeah, I think what's interesting too is you have so much ability still in post-production, in the edit, to make it what it needs to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. So even in those early times when you are not as confident, you still have an element of, okay, that didn't. this might not go well, but at least I can mess some things around in the edit. For sure. So now I think you also have that experience in the edit of knowing you can do things like with the Jennifer Lawrence episode at the very end, put that soundbite mm-hmm. about Emma Chamberlain mm-hmm. that she says. I don't know if that happened at the very end. No, didn't. But you can yeah. leave it right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And that says so much. I mean, I totally down to be friends. I really liked that clip that went viral with him and Emma Chamberlain. Okay. My favorite thing to do in the edit is move all the bits around. Yeah. Like I'll watch the whole of the rushes, so all of the all of the footage, forty minutes. I'll write all of my notes, and then I'll get sent back something that's like ten minutes long, and then we'll edit all the sections down to where we're happy, and then. 
I'll then I'll start moving everything around and I'll move all of the sections around so that the flow is exactly right and it feels like the conversation is um, really building and it feels like we're both um, getting on really well and the back and forth is right and with Lewis Capaldi I was like in the edit for ages so longer than usual because it wasn't the flow was not working at all and I couldn't get it right it just didn't feel it didn't feel like as fun as it was mm. And then finally I moved two sections around and it fit. Um, or sometimes you have to take out your favorite part. favorite part for it to work. I also wanted to ask you about the KSI episode. Yeah. Just because going back to talking about being the producer and being everything, that to me, the way that show opens is like a black screen with text on it saying that you had already recorded it, but yeah. the footage got corrupt. Yeah. That is like my worst nightmare yeah. as a creator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a nightmare scenario for me. I, like I dream about that stuff, actually. Like even coming into nightmares. this, I, w mm -hmm. I was like, you know, okay, we're at a new studio. Are they going to, is all this recording? Is everything, is it all working? Like that is something that I, I had that actually, thought during this recording. Yeah, I get yeah, stressed like about 20 minutes that. ago. I was yeah. like, I hope, yeah, okay, the lights are on. Yeah. The lights yeah. are on, yeah, yeah, they are. Hopefully it's recording. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is this on? Hello. Yeah, okay, yeah, we got a thumbs up. it was up. a nightmare situation. I know I found out actually later that the, the memory card wasn't actually corrupted. <laughs> The, the camera operation didn't press play. Oh, no. Yeah. Which is even worse. That's even worse. It's even worse. But thank <laughs> you to KSI for agreeing to, to reshoot the whole thing. That's really kind. How nice yeah. is that? Mm. But I guess maybe it's because he's a creator himself and he understands yeah. it, maybe. Or he's just, he's just a very nice person. And um, and so he did. So he said were, yes were you able to like replicate it were there moments like no the first episode was definitely better okay got the it the first yeah. episode was definitely better no one will ever see it um well you could see my my side it was just his camera that didn't get anything but i was still happy with with the episode but yeah i wrote new questions and i redid it again um but that for me that was also when i was still on the come up like every episode was like is this like I really want people to see this one. Like I still was had a lot to prove, and getting KSI was a big um, coup because uh, he was a huge is a huge uh, creator on YouTube, and it really brought me in a lot of subscribers. And as I was saying before, I've it's taken me years to get the subscribers. I think it took me like seven years to get five hundred thousand subscribers, and then I got a million within a year, and then I'm nearly on two million now. So it's been a real journey to get the, those subscribers that I have now. And um, yeah, and he um, he agreed to film. So thank you to him. But yeah, I was in a real bad way. <laughs> sure, I was sure. spiraling. I yeah. remember going for lunch with my parents and being like, this is the end. Yeah. I'm not coming back from this. I was crying on the phone like to my producer. Um, it was really bad because at that time, I really felt like I was only ever as good as my last episode, which I hear a lot of mm -hmm. creators talk about. And I really just at that time just felt like, okay, if this one's not going to happen, then the show's over. Then it's over. Like yeah. it's, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And it's funny when I was thinking about this interview because it spans the whole of my career and it's been so, it's been over 10 years. And I've forgotten a lot of how it felt to be a creator starting out because it's been so long. And it honestly is so tough and challenging having to motivate yourself, having to build a brand, having to build a show to build an audience building an audience is the hardest part I think and um there's so many moments where I felt so like 
why am I doing this? This is so hard. Um, no one's even caring and it's too hard. Um, and that's one of those moments. And I'm happy that I stuck with it. And now it feels like I've got into the swing of it. And I'm very grateful for um, the audience I have now and um, that people have stuck with it. And it feels like I'm in my groove now. What about Louis Theroux? I mean, I f- it feels like that was another inflection point. Maybe mm. not when it happened, but mm. because of the incredible viral nature of that moment. Yeah, the jiggle jiggle. Jiggle jiggle. My money don't jiggle jiggle, it folds. I'd like to see you wiggle wiggle for sure. It makes me want to dribble dribble, you know. I know, that was wild. That's like, I'm so proud to be a part of that moment because yeah. it really is something that you could I could never have expected in my wildest dreams. And because I knew, obviously, I'd watched all of his documentaries, I knew about the gangster rap episode of Weird Weekends. I asked him to, if he remembered any of the rap that he did and he delivered it a cappella, and then yeah duke and jones um made the remix on tiktok and then brooke and jess did the dance and it just created this huge phenomenon My money don't jiggle jiggle it folds i like to see you wiggle wiggle for sure it makes me want to dribble dribble you know people were really ready for something joyful just come out of lockdown wanting yeah. uh, a, tr- a dance trend that just was very um yeah just unlikely pairings and just uh an awkward man <laughs> rapping <laughs> Did that to a bring- song that he'd created and had come from a come and and you know it's amazing for it to have come from uh sure. an online show i think it just shows like where we where we are right now yeah. in terms of um the the digital landscape did that bring a lot of audience or do you think it yeah. was decal oh it did i think so yeah, yeah i think it definitely did and that episode is one of the highest viewed now. Right. it's on like 11 million views that's crazy um and it was only last year yeah yeah, last year, yeah. you cite him as uh you know inspiration and i'm just curious like have there been markers in the career of you know getting a message or a text from someone saying like i love your show um from a, from a sense of like validation uh, like as creators, I think we always seek, like, I, I always say that for us, the thing that really hits me is whenever someone I respect says that they like our work. Oh, yeah. That to me is like the the highest currency we could get. What is that for you or who are some of those moments or maybe yet to happen? Like, Totally. I feel like there's nothing better than someone you respect, like loving your yeah. work. You know, when Rosalia did it, did the show, I was really surprised that she'd heard of it and that she had watched it. And so I was so happy that she agreed to do it. Um, again, I mentioned Daniel Kaluuya, like uh, just just basically all, all, all the guests, Ed Sheeran, um, even Jennifer Lawrence, like she didn't do any press on the in the UK apart from Chicken Shop Day, I don't think. That's crazy. And that's kind of amazing cool. to, to have that. It shows you how... Um, times have changed I guess I mean I talk to Sean Evans a a lot about this a lot um on hot ones and like we've become friends which is really amazing because there's so many crossovers with our shows in terms of like the genesis of them and like how we view uh interviewing and our um our styles are very different but just our approach to our what we do is it's kind of similar and it was funny because someone tweeted recently about the jennifer lawrence um press tour that like now the 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 two key um <laughs> moments on any person's press tour are both involve eating fried chicken um, or nuggets yeah, um funny. and we were laughing about that because it just shows how different things yeah. are now but what's so amazing about that is you have sean evans with hot ones like the press junket stop one of the biggest shows for a celebrity to go and 
yet it's still within the confines of a media company. Like it's complex, which is owned by BuzzFeed. So it has that and a little bit of that ability to book guests. And of course he built it over a long period of time and like same, similar to you worked his way up in terms of like guests, but you are like entirely independent. Yeah. Which for me is always the thing that stands out is like, oh my gosh, this is essentially becoming hot ones, essentially like like that level of cultural relevance. And yet I don't know what your infrastructure looks like because I assume it's entirely still like independent and YouTube. What does it look like to be able to build that? but independent. That's Thanks for saying that because that's something I do think about too when I'm like trying to sort of, I don't know, feel proud about what I've accomplished because it's true, it's totally independent, totally started um, by by myself. I'm in complete control of almost everything and now uh, I also run the production. So I started my production company, Dims Inc. And that's something that I'm really interested in in the future is like what dims inc could be because i feel like i can add value as an agency so for example like creative direction coming up with a marketing plan for um a brand or a content series for a brand that maybe i'm not even in um uh, thinking of those creative ways of problem solving which is what agencies do um i feel like i could do that with my team um, but then we also can provide production too and then we all i'm also a publisher so right, i also, also a distributor a distributor so i also could provide uh, you know there's not there's nothing to say that i could get another creator build an idea with them put it on my channel that i'm not even in like there's so many possibilities of what it could do and it all stems through this kind of like independence of having my own team and my own production so and it's interesting the land the landscape now is changing in terms of creative agencies yeah um, i think it's it's such a unique uh model that is is so cool because of everything you just said it's like you are you can come up with the idea you can make it you can star in it and then you can publish it yeah that's like a fully vertically integrated mm-hmm. media house yes that's such a unique moment in time to be that person i know to be able to do that it's so cool isn't it in yeah. a way and it's and it also goes back to that thing of like uh, as a creator you have to wear many different hats and you have to understand all of the processes of these things and it's really changing which is what you guys talk about a lot in your videos it's changing the, the media mm-hmm. landscape it's moving it away from traditional broadcasters to this place where you're a one-stop shop you can do everything and you're creating actually much more authentic content that people now are really buying into i've been asked before like what do you think like what kind of content do gen z people like watching what makes them different what's what kind of consumers are they and i was i think what makes them different is they're interested in watching things that are made by the person who's in it like they're it's a good point yeah they're they buy they're buying into i've diy i've done it myself and i think that's what makes a younger audience different from an older one because they can see that it's someone's vision and it's like no one's told them what to do and that's kind of empowering and uh, i think that's what people see in me i hope so anyway when i think about that that like gen z uh, is more open potentially to watching content from people who make it themselves yeah i think about even just the term creator or the term youtuber and that to people in traditional or people who are perhaps older, the term YouTuber is perhaps something that is limiting. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way, that that being labeled as a YouTuber is limiting to where you want to go and what you're doing? I much prefer the title 
content creator um than youtuber but i don't mind youtuber like i feel like sometimes i i find it very hard to explain what i do if someone says what do you do i i'm always like no i do so many different things and maybe a lot of creators feel that way too um but YouTuber does the job, maybe. Like people can, if people can understand that, then that's fine. But YouTuber, in my mind, I'm thinking of a vlogger. Yeah. I'm thinking of even also maybe like Mr. Mr. Beast type um, challenge orientated content. And that's not what I do. I think that as we've spoken about before, it's much, it, Chicken Shop Day and my other shows feel much more like traditional mm-hmm. broadcast shows just on YouTube. Um so yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a I'm a content creator, but I always just say I'm the creator of Chicken Shop Date. What is your relationship uh, with fame? Because you've gone from interviewing famous people and celebrities to becoming one yourself. What what is that yeah. relationship? And and also not only in the UK but in the US too. Like yes. the US. In terms of fame, I think it's like um, it it's always been an ambition of mine to kind of make myself a name separate to chicken shop date because i think that it it crew it adds to the success of chicken shop date like it's going to be more if i'm more well known it's going to be easier for me to get talent to come on the show because they'll know me and they'll want to do it in that way um but yeah fame i don't know it just takes a bit of getting used to you know what it feels like sometimes? It feels like you're like the town mayor and you're like walking down the street and everyone's just going, hey. And yeah. you just honestly have to pretend like you know them. And you're just like, hey, great to see you. Like, And that's what it feels like because people come up to you like they are friends yeah. with you. And so it, the thing that was challenging was when I would pretend like, when I would act like I didn't know them. And mm. it's actually much easier to like, just, just like, go hey. with it. Yeah, Literally, be warm. Yeah, Go hey. with it and just... Even though it sounds weird, just to be like, yeah, this is normal. Like everyone, the, like you know me. It's um, I'll I'll know you back. How's it going? I'll literally be like, how's it going? And they're like, yeah, good. Okay, we'll see you later. Literally, that's how I do because it mimics the parasocial or the, just yeah, the and also it just makes me feel like it was a normal interaction because it's not normal that someone you've never met comes up <laughs> to you and asks you for a photo. Like that is weird, and that's what makes you feel like an alien so i'm doing this new thing where i pretend it's normal and it's made me feel a lot better (laughs) have you ever had it where you pretend it's normal but you actually do know the person (laughs) because i'm speaking from experience sometimes i'll like like you don't know you know the person yeah i'll be like oh hey uh, great to meet you you know and then sometimes it'll linger uh, uh, there's one specific time it lingered and i was like do you want a photo and they were like what i know you yeah i went to school with you yeah and i was like oh (laughs) i'm your best friend oh yeah i'm so sorry (laughs) 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 i'm on the show with you hey um yeah obviously sometimes it happens like sometimes i'll meet because i meet lots of different people on set Uh, sometimes people will come up to me and i'll think that they're a fan and actually they're like oh no i was like the sound op on like a show it's just a strange thing to get used to what happened the other day i was at lana del rey concert and people coming up to me saying the most thoughtful things. One girl, well, to me it was thoughtful. She said, um, I love watching your videos. They really cure all my hangovers. Oh, and I was like, sweet. thank yes, yeah. I like that. That is great. Like when that's people really say sweet. stuff like that, I don't know. I'm just like, yeah, that's why I'm just so happy that that, that, that happens, yeah. that they feel like that. So when the you're on... Hangovers the red... are so bad. <laughs> so when you're on the red carpet and it's somewhat the inverse that you are potentially talking to people who are even that next level of fame Mm. and you're doing a red carpet interview, do you have, how do you perceive those interactions? Are you nervous on the red carpet? Um, Yes. The nerves have gotten less as time has gone on, but 
Golden Globes in particular, I was so nervous. I actually have videos that I filmed of myself where I'm like freaking out that I was like, maybe I'll make a vlog of this experience. And I just didn't at all because I just was too in in my own head with it. But I couldn't sleep for like days before. Yeah. Yeah, it was... in that like red car, like I feel like that has been such a cool evolution to watch you go onto the red carpet. Like that to me, I feel like the first time I, I saw you on the red carpet, I was like, wow, I'm witnessing something that is going to continue to grow. We're witnessing history. History. Yes. <laughs> that's how I felt. I was like, oh, the way that, I don't know, we're like seeing something that's going to become such a big part of the norm mm. of like Hollywood premieres or award shows, specifically you being there. Um, and I think that creators being on the red carpet has also become more prevalent yeah. specifically emma chamberlain yeah and i was curious because like the, at the end of the jennifer lawrence bit like that that was very funny that you included that that jennifer lawrence talked about emma uh, on the red carpet do you feel any sense of competition uh with emma yeah um not really because i feel like we i by the way i love her videos but yeah for sure when for sure i'm not gonna like um, if I'm being honest, when I when when the Met Gala came this year, I was like couldn't really sleep because I was like, <laughs> I wanted to see what kind of what, what kind of question she was asking, how it went, and yeah, that's a dream job of mine to yeah. do the Met Gala. Like that's what I'm trying to work working towards to do um, those interviews. And I I don't know, I probably I don't know if I'll get booked until maybe Emma decides she doesn't want to do them anymore because maybe our, our styles are too similar. But that's fine because I've got something to work towards. And that's how yeah. I always think, you know, you've got to build and build. And if I was doing the Met Gala this year, what would I do next? You know, it's mm. more something that I like that I've got something to build towards. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like I'm building my, I, I'm an interviewer. That's what I do. Like that's my, yeah. I'm not a vlogger I don't do any I'm not a podcaster like I interview people and that's what and I interview celebrities and that's what I feel like I've honed my craft doing I'm really good at it and I want to continue doing that yeah. um so yeah you've brought up before that if Drake were to come on the show that would be the end yeah if he were to come on in the next six months is that too soon that's why I'm not that bothered that, that, that keen about um him coming on the show anytime <laughs> soon people yeah. that's my number one thing that people ask me they're like when's Drake coming on the show when's Drake coming on the show when they see me in the street um and I'm like it will, it will happen like it will happen like it's been organized and f- fallen through like too many times for it to not happen and he like prom he's given me his word that it will so I mean it will happen but yeah I, I'm gonna end the series with his episode so wow we'll see I love sticking to your word on that. Do you have any uh, yeah. thought of what goes on the channel after that? No, I haven't thought that no. far ahead. <laughs> I want to. I have other ambitions in terms of what Maybe. I want to do, like do directing and scripture projects, and cool. I really f- feel like I want to go into like narrative, um, video Ooh. more. Yeah. One quick note on talent for call, uh, for Chicken Shop Date, uh, in terms of like booking talent for Chicken Shop Date, I've heard you talk about that President Biden's team reached out oh, yeah. to inquire about coming on Chicken Shop Day. Yeah, that was like an early email, just like, can we send check yeah. that you could maybe like do a call? But how, how funny is that? Like, That's wild. Yeah. I can't imagine the inbound you get of now people wanting to to come on the show. Yeah. How do you decipher between yes and no, like holding on to the brand of what you've built when there's, you know, massive talent asking to come on? I think it's just uh, every time a talent request comes in, it's just like thinking about, is this someone my audience would want to see? Does this make sense for the show? Is this going to move us in the right direction? Um, Is this a talent that I actually like and that I'm a fan of? Do I think that it's... Yeah, there's so many things that come into play. Um, What's their 
like who are their audience like are they uh are people excited by them at the moment have we got them at the wrong time have we got them at the right time um yeah i mean there's lots of different questions we ask but some the best ones is when you, a, a request comes in and you're like yes straight away yeah totally yeah so are we gonna see president biden on chop day <laughs> i think he's been and gone now okay. his trip yeah, was very yeah, short yeah. and i was included <laughs> on the press run <laughs> so, um as you ahead. as you look at making scripted as you look at making like scripted television series things like that do you feel like what you're doing right now is building the muscles you need do you have the people that you need for that i don't think so i think it's a long journey into the mm. scripted world like i think this it's it's i like but i like that i've got a long game plan too as well as the like entertainment formats that are kind of happening at the moment and the red carpet interviews and you know other maybe entertainment formats that i put out or i'm connected to and then it's more of a long-term plan to um work towards um doing some more scripture projects but it's i find it very challenging to find the time because it's a very different part of my brain your sister was quoted in the new york times uh, yeah. by looking back and saying you've always had a high level of ambition yeah and i think you know now having spoken to you at length in this conversation it feels like that is a word that i would absolutely like, ambitious is an absolute word that i would use to describe you and i'm just curious where that comes from like is that from are you have you felt like you're trying to I guess, prove something to yourself or is there something from a young age that you were trying to reach this level of success? Yeah, I think that I've just, I don't know, I cannot remember a time when I wasn't really ambitious. Like honestly, <laughs> even like in primary school, like I've uh, I've always just wanted to impress people and um, maybe that's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. I think I'm actually talking to my therapist about this like recently about why do I feel the need to impress people that don't know me? Um, and I think that often that's what we're doing as in this industry. Um, that's how everything work. What yeah. Everything works. It, it's one of the, it's a huge driver and motivator for us as creators, right? Like yeah. we are looking at these numbers on the screen and looking at this performance of our craft or the validation when you're walking on the street and someone said that was really great mm -hmm. or very funny. It's like, those are moments that fill you up as a creator. Yeah. As time's gone on and I feel more confident in my place in the industry and just I'm growing up, um, I, I'm more interested in, in um, pleasing people that do know me. <laughs> and I think that's much more manageable. Yeah. It's impossible to get everyone to like you and to impress everyone. It's much more feasible to just get the people that you know to like you <laughs> and great, to want to be around you. A great step for that, which I'm so impressed, is that you had no idea what the YouTube Studio app is, yes. which was amazing <laughs> when we first sat down, which is what most creators are hooked to is their analytics and how things are performing mm. and what people are saying. That's pretty amazing. No, I don't have the, yeah. I didn't know about this YouTube studio app, but I do look at it on my laptop. But I, yeah. if I'm honest, I will look at it maybe like once a month. Wow. Um, that's amazing. But I look, I, I look at views. Yeah. So I look at the views and that's how I sort of see if something's going well or not. And then I love reading comments on YouTube yeah. and I, the, the, the positive sentiment on YouTube is so great. And also on TikTok, and that's not to say that I don't care about analytics because i'm very much looking at the views on my tiktok as well like i've been known to archive a video if it doesn't have over a million views because i'm insecure about that or whatever but um i'm it's it's a work in progress always of of trying to let go mm -hmm. in terms of the numbers and i do think i'm pretty good at that now and i've just always been 
just obsessed with the creative. Like I want it to be the funniest video it can. I want it to be entertaining. I'm very much just want it to be the best piece of content it can. And that's what I think I've always tried to do rather than if it's going to make X amount of views, make X amount of money. Um, that's what I I just want it to be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's what's so inspiring to us and to a lot of other creators looking in is that you don't get the feel that you are compromising. Yeah, no. On, on the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll never, I, yeah, I rarely will I compromise. I've been sometimes when I've, when I've, tr- I've been made to or I've had to and I've been very annoyed about it and that's also something that's an interesting thing from coming from a, as a creator I think that you're in a really privileged position where you don't have to compromise and it's interesting when you then start working with other people traditional media and all these places like it really it kind of can take it an adjustment to being like wait so you're going to have a say in my video um, I'm not right. going to have the complete control and that's also what I again love about the other work that I do because I love collaborating with other people that do have you know insight that that are bringing their own expertise um a, for a creator journey is often a very isolating one a very lone not lonely but like it is you're, you're yeah. going out on a whim on your own you're doing it all on your own terms that's incredible and that's where every why everyone has got to where they are today because of that but it also you're like constantly being like am I doing this right am I doing this right is this going to go well and when you're part of a, a smaller part of a bigger team I don't think you have that as much but then you don't have the control that and you probably are yearning for some kind of creative control so it's like sometimes I do wish that I was part of a gang part of a <laughs> part of a, uh, a yeah. smaller part in a bigger yeah. company wouldn't it be cool to like not have to be the one leading everything all the time right. but then I know that as soon as I'd get there I'd be like I want it my you way it, yeah. <laughs> and I want to do it. But it's been a, another process has been learning to delegate. And that's a big part of what I'm trying, what I try and do with my team um, is trusting in the people I've hired and the people that are around me that they can do a brilliant job and that they do and that I can let go. Yeah. And, that, and fr- I found over the last year, I've been doing that better than I have before. And I feel like that's also why my, career is going up in an upward yeah. trajectory because I've built a really great team around me and I trust them to do, go about tasks and deliver things separate to me that I don't have to be in control of everything I'm overseeing stuff but things are going on without me and that's I guess how you build a business but I still don't even know <laughs> um but I'm assuming that that's what you have to do you have to yeah. let go to yeah. to build and um yeah I'm really grateful for everyone that I work with and um and all the different ways that um they've come into my life whether it's through um putting out an advert on LinkedIn or meeting someone at an exhibition and them giving me the their portfolio and yeah. me working with them through work experience uh through my management company um all these different ways these avenues it's really important to me that um uh the people that i work with are from all different walks of life and that have and their access has been in different ways um yeah i wanted to ask about like you, you know amelia the person versus what we see on camera and if you've ever been at odds with the character that you've created like in your personal life whether that's in in actual dating or in friendships or anything like that where playing the character on on camera like almost a hyperbolic version versus you know in real life has, um, has there ever been any tension between those two 
I think um, not really too much tension. I think because all my friends and everyone who knows me, they've known me forever. So I don't really feel like anyone's ever um, not knowing the like real me. And I'm also very confident of like switching in between the two people. Like uh, whenever I meet someone, I'm always just going to be like this, like myself. Like I'm never going to be like in character. Like the only time I'm in character is like when I'm doing a chicken shop date interview or when I'm on the red carpet or something. But the red carpet interviews are very much more like my actual vibe in real life. Um, So yeah, I've never really been at odds with the character. And then obviously I'll always have like some comments from people that I'm just becoming friends with or don't know. And they'll say, oh, you're not as awkward in real life. And then that's literally it. And then it just then they right, then we just then start chatting about then yeah, we just yeah, move yeah. on um yeah so i've never really had that but maybe it's just my own confidence and even in knowing that even if i did have comments that i wouldn't let it phase me and i think also i'm very quick to just be myself in situations so i think that people just yeah. get the picture very quickly for all the people who think maybe you have just arrived in the last year or two what i love about this conversation is that it really does show that you have been doing this for so long, yes. over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And for all the reasons that you are where you are today, I feel like one of the biggest ones is just that you didn't quit. Exactly. Didn't quit and also had some amazing people around me that have helped me shape the show and have steered me in the right direction. And yeah, it's it's my, it's my show, but there's so many people that have made that uh, reality. So I'm really grateful that I got the opportunity to talk a bit more about the teamwork yeah. and um, the people that have um, been in and out of my life. Yeah. Well, thank you for sitting down. Thank I you. Can't wait to see. Me. Can't wait to see what happens over the next year. I feel like the last year has been so crazy. I know. Just, oh, I had one more piece of yeah, thing please, I wanted yeah, to please. say before I go because I do actually have to go. Is when I was thinking about like oh advice or things moments that have really stuck out to me in my journey. One moment that really stuck out to me is actually when one of my producers um, handed in their notice. And it was the first time that I, someone had left me, <laughs> that yeah. I'd felt like people wow, can- the first time. <laughs> yeah, in, in business. Well, actually, no, I actually feel like I've been not been left that wow, much. Wow. I know. Impressive. And it was very um, eye-opening experience. Yeah, yeah. And to me- she was incredible she was such a brilliant producer she taught me so much from really particular things to big things like you you don't have a dropbox you'd have a dropbox and have all your stuff shared on this like she really built a lot of the infrastructure for for dim zinc and um like honestly like four months into working with her she handed in her notice and i to go and start her own agency fair play I was like great and I was but I was flawed I was just I couldn't believe that someone this good would leave me and that's when I actually spoke to my dad about it and I never talked to my dad really about anything to do with my work and stuff I mean he's interested but he doesn't give me advice and I called him and I told him about what happened and he said he said something actually kind of good he said um the best people will always leave and Mm, I was like because they are ambitious they're the best people, and yeah. they're the best people and they're going to leave because they want to do other things. And that was really, in, that was really good for me to know because it has now prepared me that, yeah, I might be working with these amazing people now and they might leave me and that's okay because I'll be able to find someone else. And I think that that's, um, that's been really useful for me and it's made me more confident in, in like things changing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good lesson just in being a creative, hiring creative people mm. that you 
have the empathy that they will want to do something similar to what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Even if they stay at your company. You know, I hope a lot of the people that work with us stay with us for a long time. Yeah. And if they do, I hope they are able to carve out time and ways for them to do something creative and ambitious in their own right in a different type of way. Yeah. Especially when you're around, like, I don't know, someone, a, a creator or... or the CEO of the company who you've seen them do it on their own. You know, it's For inspiring sure. as well. So maybe it's kind of makes want people want to do it too. But yeah, so that was just my other thing that I've been thinking about in terms of things. Do you have parting words of wisdom for people who want to do what you've done? Parting words of wisdom. I'm so bad at, at mottos. Um, um, but I have one, which I need to just remember. Um, what was it? It's wait, one second. I'm going to remember it. It's like if you, um, <laughs> Louis gave you one you on the pod. Something, um, if you want something, it's like, if you want something to, okay, I've got it. Okay. Okay. So there's an amazing charity called arts emergency and they're all about getting, um, people from disadvantaged backgrounds, um, into work in the creative arts and they have, um, merch and one of their badges and they've made a badge with a comedian called Joe Lysett. And it says this motto, which I love. And I wish I thought of it myself. If you want something to exist, sometimes you have to create it yourself. That's perfect. And it's not my motto, I love but it. it's... That is good. I love that. I love that one. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like that really wraps up the conversation too. Yeah. That's really nice. Well, thank you, Amelia. Thank really you so much. You. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, such a pleasure. I'm such a big fans of your content. And so it was great to have a conversation with people who really understand um, where I'm coming from. So I hope this has been um, helpful for other people as well um, yeah. and interesting. All right. Cool. Okay. See ya. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>